Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the story of God through a few different pictures. And it's important that we know the story of God. And that story is always about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their interaction with mankind, what God is doing. And that's where our lives find meaning and purpose. And so the four pictures or scenes we've been using are the Garden of Eden, the desert, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the eternal garden to come. So today the focus is on the Garden of Gethsemane, the third scene in God's story. Have you ever noticed that some of the best stories, the most memorable stories, are those filled with reversals? where the underdog overcomes and where they rise up from the ashes. You know, stories like those where the nerd gets the girl in the school and the popular jock is left in the dust. Or where the quaint mountain town is able to fend off the large New York development firm from building their ski resort and preserves the the quaintness of their town. You know, it's the stories where the team of misfit Davids overcome the Goliaths. Stories like the Mighty Ducks, the the great hockey movie from the early 90s, or the Rocky story where he rises up from, from being at the bottom of the heap and makes it to the top. We love those kinds of stories. But the problem is that in the real world, most stories don't turn out that way. It doesn't seem like that's how things happen. Instead, in our lives, it it tends to be that those who win are the rich, the well-connected, the powerful, while the weak, the marginalized, the poor, those scripture would classify as the, the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners, are abused and pushed aside. We know this isn't how the story is meant to be. We long for a better ending, a a different ending to the story. We we want that that movie ending. So we've been going through the story of God these past couple weeks, and we started two weeks ago by talking about the Garden of Eden and the place where everything was functioning according to God's perfect design. We had a perfect relationship with God the Father, with one another, and with creation. Everything was happening the way it was supposed to be. But then we gave in to sin. We turned away from God's will and we've gone out of the garden and are find ourselves now in the desolate desert wilderness, a place of want and desperation. And that's where we face the consequences of our sins. And now the weak are cast aside. The poor are marginalized. The ill and the sick are oppressed and ignored. It seems Like every every story ends in defeat. Eventually, even the victors fall. We all end up giving in to death at some point. Even if you are the strong or among those who, who are able to succeed and thrive and overcome momentarily. Eventually, the next challenge, the next illness the next enemy comes to knock you back down. We long for a different outcome, a different story. We want a champion to come who can set things right, who can restore that order, who can deliver us from our enemies. 
The problem is we can't save ourselves. We're not strong enough. We've tried and we fall short. As I've listened to people talk, I've heard different people give their own opinions of of what's wrong with the world and what the solution might be. And one of the answers I've heard is that we're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution. It's a quaint idea, but that's not exactly how Christians would say it. It is true we would say that we're all part of the problem, but there is only one man who's a solution, and that is Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, because we've turned away from God and rebelled, we cannot save ourselves. And so God takes it upon himself, takes on flesh and enters into creation so that he might redeem and restore us. This fits with what we were talking about last week as we focused on the desert and the consequences of our actions. We acknowledge that that we're sinners from birth. In fact, we're sinners from conception even. By nature, we're broken. We're turned away from God. And if that sinfulness is part of who we are, then we can't fix ourselves. We're, We're too broken. We're too messed up. We need something or someone from the outside to come and save us. God does that. He enters into creation so that he might redeem and restore what was lost. The Garden of Gethsemane, today's picture, is a garden of reversal. It is the place where Jesus takes on the curse for us. He bears the punishment, the wrath, the judgment of God in our place so that we might experience something different. Today's Old Testament lesson in Isaiah talks about a suffering servant who would take our place, who would restore the forces of the people, and who would bless the nations. This is one of the four servant songs found in Isaiah that talk of a servant of Yahweh who would come and deliver the people, but who would also be rejected by the people initially, but who would bear the burden of the people's sin and offer and exchange God's grace and mercy. The most famous of these is in Isaiah 52 and 53, which includes the verse, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. The picture of the Garden of Gethsemane is a picture of reversal, of everything changing. It is new water for the parched ground of the desert wilderness that brings life where death had reigned. It is new blood for the life of the world that changes everything. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has overcome the grave. And now we, all of creation, as it says in Romans 8, groans, longs for that time of restoration to come. And we, with all of creation wait longingly for that day when God will restore all that was lost in the fall, when death will be conquered and will be no more. We long for that day. See, in the beginning, God created Adam, a man he placed in the garden. And Adam was a type that foreshadowed, that pointed forward to Christ. Adam was the first man He was placed in the garden, given charge over all of creation, called to care for creation as God's manager of this world. That's the charge that God has given us. But we know how that story goes. 
Even though Adam had everything he needed in the Garden of Eden, he gave into temptation and sinned. And he was cast out of the garden. And every day of our lives, we continue to repeat his sin. We turn away from God. Our will bends away from what God desires for our life. Ever since that day we were cast out of the garden, we have longed for a champion, for someone greater to come, someone who could defeat our enemies, who could set things right, a greater Adam, a second Adam, a new Adam who could bring about a new beginning. Jesus Christ is that champion. He is that second and new Adam to come. And by his, by the incarnation, he has brought together creation and redemption. By taking on flesh and entering into the garden, or out of, into the desert rather, into the, the desert wilderness. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He lives the perfect life of submission. He dies the perfect death. He raises victoriously over the grave and restores our relationship with the Father. The Garden of Gethsemane is a place where God's relationship with the world begins to be restored, has been set right. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He submits. There is the beginning of the formation, the culmination of bringing about the new creation, the new man. It happens in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. See, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. He came into this world, took on flesh, and he went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and then he faced the temptations of Satan perfectly. He did not give in. And then during his ministry, he displayed powerfully his authority over sin, over death, over Satan, over the forces of darkness. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he showed his perfect obedience to the Father, taking the cup of wrath, that judgment that was to be poured out on Adam and his descendants, you and me, for our rebellion against God's will. Jesus took all of it, and he was laid to rest in a tomb. You see, just as when Adam was asleep in the garden, through his body, God brought forth a new creation, brought forth Eve, a suitable helper, a bride, so too through Jesus' sleeping body. That is to say, when he was laid to rest in the tomb, when he had died, through his body, which God raised on the third day, God has brought forth a new creation, a new bride, the church, you and me. We are brought forth out of Christ's sleeping body and raised to new life. It is a new beginning. Jesus is now the head of the church, the firstborn of the new creation, replacing sinful Adam as the head of humanity, as our destination. See, everything has changed for you and for me. The curse of sin is broken. The ultimate outcome, death, has been defeated. There is a new king, and his reign has begun, and we are part of his kingdom. You and I now belong to the greatest underdog story ever told. 
We're part of the greatest reversal anyone has ever seen. Instead of receiving the punishment, death, which we deserve for our sins on account of what Christ has done for us, we now receive mercy. We receive forgiveness, new life, and new breath. Everything has changed. As today's passage in Isaiah said, God has made his servant, who we know is Jesus, a light for the nations, so that his salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. God's story does the unexpected. God enters into creation in Jesus Christ. He takes on flesh. He comes into that very creation that has rebelled and turned away from him so that he might redeem and restore all of creation. And that includes you and me. See, this whole story is all about Jesus. The Old Testament story, the culmination and its fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. And the New Testament is talking about what it looks like to live in light of the fulfillment of this story, knowing that it has reached its culmination, knowing where it ends and where it goes and what it means for you and I to live as followers of Christ in light of this story that is driving towards a powerful end. See, as God's children, we're claimed as part of this story. As those in Christ, we are inheritors of that promise we heard given to Abraham last week when God said that he would bless him. God has now blessed us through Jesus Christ. And, but that's not where it ended. See, God told Abraham he would be a blessing to the nations, that all nations would be blessed through him. And Jesus Christ, at the end of his ministry, commanding us to continue that blessing in Matthew 28, sends us out in the Great Commission to bless the nations, to baptize them in his name, to teach them of what has been accomplished. We know now go out as inheritors of the promise to Abraham through Christ, and we bless the world. We tell this story of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, that everything has changed, that death has been defeated, that the, sin of curse, that the curse of sin has been broken. That a new world order is coming upon us and God wants the whole world to know and be a part of it with him. And so as we go out as God's people, as we are going, we proclaim this story in worship, in our daily lives at home, in our workplaces, and in all we do. We proclaim this story as we bless others in Jesus' name. Amen.